I think Wix completely missed the mark. Hmm. Let's talk about that. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and ProfitWell's Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about competitive marketing. Hit them where it hurts, in the right ways, where, where they're deficient, and find the customers that are ready to switch as a result. Aligning message to audience. If the influencer was the right target, that's where it just makes no sense. Respond, don't react. I don't know if Wix responds, right? Because there's a world where they don't care. And much more. And you don't really have a category if you're the only company in the category. So that's another little bit of an issue too. Welcome back to Tradeoffs, everyone. Patrick here. Got Heaton here. Heaton, what's so, going on, my man? How are things? Not much. Can't complain about anything. Love it. I am sick as a dog. I wish it was from getting a vaccine. I don't think it is. Or it's not, because I would have gotten I would have known I would have gotten a vaccine, hopefully. Yeah, that's how that's how great it is right now. <laughs> my logic is out the window. Well, that's gonna make for a great convo. I know. I can I win been, any debates. Uh, it's great. There you go. You can win everything now. I've been sleeping like 10 to 12 hours a night, which is crazy. How long? Without any effort. A few days or? Like, yeah, is that a good days, thing? Three, four days. No, I've been, my sleep's been really good throughout COVID. My sleep has been better than ever or better than the past few years, I would say. But I play the 430 game in terms of when I wake up and it's been really, really good the past year. And then now it's just been the last week. It's just been shot because I'll try to wake up and my body's just like, nope, you're going to sleep in a little bit longer. But it's fighting, 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 fighting. Anyways, anything else fun going on? Or I know we have a juicy topic to jump into, but any anything else? Any fun news? Nah, let's do the juicy topic. So the juicy topic we're talking about, just give a little bit of background. We're going to talk a little bit about competitors today, um, and in particular, how some folks have decided to handle competitors. And the the impetus for this is Heaton and I were chatting back and forth. Wix, the website company, I guess is the best way to yeah, you know, describe creator. them. Yeah. Um, it's a website creator, very big. I'm pretty sure it's gotten funding, but you know, 20 plus billion dollar valuation, I believe, something crazy like that. They came out recently with some ads, basically 16, attacking WordPress. Sixteen billion, just checked. Almost Sixteen 17. million. Yep. They came out with some ads recently, going after WordPress, which is an open source website builder platform. And there's some drama that came with this. So one, maybe here, here are some layers. So the first layer is. They did this kind of weird, nondescript ABM, account-based marketing style campaign, where I think they sent a bunch of influencers. I don't know, but they sent them this kind of nondescript um, package. It had a pair of Bose headphones in it and essentially a QR code that went to a video where this guy was playing WordPress and how the world's you know coming to get him or something like that. And then while that's going on, another layer, they started releasing these ads that were very high production value. Um, the acting in it, you know, was good. The writing was interesting, where basically it's, you know, WordPress versus other folks. And they point out problems with WordPress or perceived problems with WordPress. And then the idea is like, oh, maybe if you go to Wix, you won't have these problems. And then a third layer is Matt, the creator of WordPress, essentially, came out and wrote a blog post about how lowbrow these, these ads were. And I guess Wix has had a history of kind of butting heads with WordPress. And so we got a nice mix of little like threads that we can pull on. But I know there's probably like 
how well was this executed in general and, and how you should handle competitive kind of marketing to like, was this at least in a you know specific sense, good or not? And then three, like, you know, there's probably a bunch of little things to go deep dive on. So you think that was a good summary? Did I miss anything, Heaton? No, I think generally talking about competitors and even just everything from them copying what you're doing or the perception that competitors are copying each other because it's more perception than reality typically. Mm. And then the other side of it is like marketing kind of tactics related to that and people's sentiments. So I think you covered most of the things. Full disclosure, I'm actually an advisor to Automatic. So I have some shares in the company and I also have strong opinions and Matt Mullenweg is a friend of mine as well. Objectively speaking, taking any biases I have outside of it because Matt's a friend, I think it was a poorly done campaign. I can't speak to the ABM side of it because I think that felt good to you when I kind of explained it to you, uh, at least what we talked about there. So I would say from an account-based marketing strategy in terms of mailing something to people and it having like a funnel and a flow, it made sense. Like I, I get that piece. So you'd probably say it made sense, right? You give away something expensive, you win influencers over to your platform, right? I don't believe this campaign was successful though in doing that. So from one perspective, like you said, quality of production, ABM flow, all that good stuff uh, about how you do marketing, I guess these days, it all seemed to like be structured really well, super high quality work. I think mm. what they failed at is hitting the mark on actually going after the competitor. So in this case, going mm. after WordPress. So putting my marketing hat on, taking all biases off, really well executed but the positioning of it and the actual content and the performance of it, including the actors, including like all that, I don't think it had alignment with what's running through people's heads about the issues with WordPress. And mm. it, it feels like Wix is, was completely off base in how they went after WordPress in this case. And I think they failed from that standpoint. Mm. And Matt actually put out a whole blog post about just what they did because it, was kind of weird, frankly. And like, it's not just yeah. me saying that. You look at the headlines about it and some people use weird in their headline and said, this is a weird campaign. I would say that experiencing the campaign, it was a weird campaign when you experience it and you kind of go through it. And that's the part that unfortunately is the highlight of these campaigns is like, how much do they hit the mark in what they're saying? Or are they completely just sending people hot sauce, right? Like you did right? With a, with a drop model where it doesn't have to have a tie-in, but you're also not picking a fight. So I guess if you mm. pick a fight, you should kind of think through that a little bit more from a customer sentiment standpoint and find ways to test it. I can't imagine they tested this and it tested well, unless they got a lot of biased responses or just tested with folks who love Wix or something like that. I think these are the kind of campaigns we're trying to win over people who love WordPress in this case yeah. and hit on some really core points. But if somebody loves WordPress and then they see this campaign, I think it's off-putting more so than compelling. And then when I looked at Twitter, the folks at Wix, it looks like been making inroads with like SEOs who mm. love WordPress, like hands down, like I know that market well. I started out in marketing on the internet and had my own company doing it. And I still am a diehard WordPress fan, like hundred percent, not because of any bias I have or any relationship I have, it's literally if I want to guarantee certain things when it comes to my site structure and SEO and scalability of a CMS, I can't find another one 
that has what WordPress has for me. So all these things that they're pointing out about things being buggy and whatever, I think they're missing the point about WordPress and the difference between Wix and WordPress, which is dramatic. That being said, WordPress is open source and you can install it on your own servers or run a managed hosting system like WP Engine. That's what most people do. I tend to do that mostly. Then WordPress.com has an experience that's similar to Wix, where it's a website creator, right? And so that's what adds, I would say, a layer of complication and complexity to WordPress the brand, but also to any kind of shots that you try to take at it. Because which one are you talking about? And which one are you attacking, so to speak? And Wix is also a company that Matt has written about before because they basically stole in ways that are not acceptable the open source code for WordPress's mobile app. And there's a whole Mm. thing about that. Also, when it comes to open source and a big project like WordPress, this is nothing that you can't see online, but he gets a lot of people criticizing different things about WordPress. And he is the leader, so to speak, of that movement and that community. And he gets a lot (laughs) over the years. If you just do some Googling, you'll see like he's defending a lot of things constantly. And he's also the type of person that's very nice and friendly and is not usually on the offensive. And he wasn't even in this article he wrote about Wix because it's just not his style. But you could tell that like if he wrote an article, like to some extent personal in this case, and and, and part of it is like if you look at the video, I think they're trying to depict Matt in the video with the glitchy old man, so to speak. And again, that's just me saying that no one I know, including Matt, has we Matt and I have not spoke about this, by the way. Mm. So just saying like, it's just really interesting. And yes, we're conversing about it, but I don't think that's a good thing for Wix when usually like, you know, all PR is good PR, whatever people say, bad PR is good, whatever. Not in this case, in my opinion. I think like there are a lot of people that they sent this campaign to that are probably pretty happy with free headphones because these are like $350 headphones, but also at the same same time don't are probably having an allergic reaction to Wix instead of the intended reaction. Mm. Okay, that's what I, I got. Think, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. So I'm a little... I'm not as close to it. I think I'm going to come off like I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm more just analyzing it from a different lens. Here's what's interesting. And I'm going to say this affectionately. It's going to come off a little more derogatorily, but like the WordPress fan, fanboys and fangirls, like the reactions to the videos I saw and like the YouTube videos, I kind of like write those off, right? Like I've had experience with that where, you know, we we do some competitive campaigns and then the the fanboys and fangirls of our competitors like, you know, oh, this like they they overly like react to the competitive um, advertising or marketing. What is interesting I, though, I do this- I do want to put a pin in that and come back to it in the specific case of what you've dealt with in the past for one reason only because I think it's very different. But it's worthy oh, no, no, of discussion. No. I totally agree. But what I'm trying to get to is who was the audience for this? Because I think that is, that's the fundamental problem with what happened. I will tell you the audience and that might shape what you say next. The audience sure. was WordPress influencers. I'll tell you the audience. I know it 100% based on okay. their campaign. In that sense, that's where this all breaks down, right? Because if they're going after like the hardcore WordPress folks, the fan fanboys and fangirls, it's the wrong message. It's the wrong like execution Execution just from like the video quality, the sends, the copy, these types of things oh, that was, was great. Yeah, it was great. Don't get me wrong. But like the audience doesn't didn't make any sense, right? And I was looking at this and I was thinking, okay, if they're trying to get me, I'm familiar with WordPress. I've done some WordPress sites before. I've done some like Squarespace, all these other sites, this type of thing. 
I don't really consider WordPress, like, I don't think about it in the way that they're framing it. Like, I don't think about it as like, oh, this versus that versus the other thing. It's not like I am, you know, on WordPress and I'm not a diehard, but I'm on it and I'm thinking, oh yeah, it is right. It is like annoying to update my plugins and that type of thing. And that's what was really weird is that they could have taken this campaign and tweaked it slightly. And I think it could have been actually really, really successful. I think if they were targeting like the mom and pop stores or the mom and pop sites that they got on WordPress because some agency gave them a WordPress site five years ago and they're kind of annoyed with it because of XYZ and they just want something super simple and plug and play no matter, you know, the problems that, you know, Wix also has as, as, as a product because there's always trade-offs, right? This could have been a phenomenal ad campaign. But the problem is they're going after the people that know what's going on and can understand and kind of see through the marketing messaging. And therefore, it doesn't make any sense. Like the other really funny part, at least to me, was there were a couple of the the people they targeted on Twitter who thought that the headphones were from WordPress. It's because of the way they did the... Yeah, and, I, and that's where the execution was a little off because... They had this, for those of you who haven't seen it, they have this character, which, you know, he, you're, you're, you know, suggesting could potentially be depicting Matt, um, which, you know, I'm a little further apart. You know, I don't know Matt personally. So let, let's just say, like, that's not actually what they were doing, even though maybe that is what they were doing. Sure, like, even sure. then, we they can had give this them character. The of the doubt for a second. Yeah, like, sure. we can take the most sure. charitable interpretation, sure. right? Which, sure. you know, when you're closer to it, it's harder to do that. But let's just take that yeah, off the fair. table for a second. It was this character that was, like, a paranoid personal manifestation of WordPress. So the person was WordPress and talking about how like, oh, you're going to stay with us, right? You're not going to go to like another company. But they didn't even mention Wix or anything. And it just was like this weird, like, I can only assume it was from WordPress, right? And it was supposed to be funny, but maybe the joke didn't hit. So I could have easily interpreted that WordPress sent me these headphones and then I just kind of move on, right? That's the thing, like to bring it back to something that's useful for everybody. Like I think that you have to pick the right target for some of these campaigns if you're going to do like a serious competitive campaign, because if the influencer was the right target, that's where it just makes no sense. Um, because they're just kind of, they're kicking a hornet's nest in multiple different ways. And they may win some people over, but a lot of those diehards, they know the trade-offs of WordPress <laughs> and they're familiar with Wix and they're familiar with Squarespace and they're familiar with all, and there's a reason they're still with WordPress. So yeah, I I think just alignment to the message as well as to the, the audience is, is really what got messed up here, um, even though it was like, you know, objectively a very well executed campaign from a, you know, appearance and quality level and those types of things. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go send random people $350 things, you should execute it well, which I think it was properly well, yeah. executed One little from that note, standpoint. Just but- yeah, yeah, just from an ABM perspective, that actually yeah. that was the worst part of the campaign. <laughs> because oh, really? I, I, I texted, I think I texted you. I was like, they messed this up. And you're and I think you were like, why? I was like, when you do this type of campaign, it, it's either like very apparent that it's an influencer campaign, and therefore there's like four to five subtle hints throughout the entire experience for them to share on social and to share with a hashtag or something like that. Or if you're doing more of like a traditional like lead generation um, or opportunity generation campaign, 
you don't send the headphones. <laughs> like you instead send like, you know, some sort of like, hey, if you get on the call, I'll send you the headphones or you send them like the cord to the headphones and say, hey, I'll send you the headphones as soon as we get on a call. Um, and people have been doing this for a really, really long time. But that was the one thing where I was like, it was the weirdest execution of it. And we've done some stuff like this and it works really well as long as you like, again, know, know what the outcome so, that you're seeking looks like. So I know I started it by saying ABM, but this was probably more accurately described as an influencer marketing campaign yeah, that's and fair. less so ABM because I don't understand what they're going to get from the people that they sent these headphones to and what they were expecting. Because like you said, from what it looks like on Twitter, they're sending it to diehard WordPress fans hmm. and you don't convert them over so easily. And some of these people make a living or have in the past because of WordPress. And so like you said, they know all the reasons that they use it and why they wouldn't use anything else anytime mm. soon. Yeah, ultimately, I think it, it was more of an influencer campaign gone wrong because of all the things that you said. I'm not sure if there's actually anything more to dissect on this specific campaign Yeah, for us, at least. The one thing I will say is, just to maybe like tie a bow on it, I think that I have a lot of empathy for this part with the Wix side, we've done campaigns totally before where we like do something, but we don't close the loop with the outcome we're trying to go after. And that was, that was the issue to be really specific. So they sent these headphones with this, like some interesting language and a QR code that led to a video that had no CTA that had no like specific branding, no next, no next step, nothing. That's the thing that like, just for everyone to take away, whether it's a influencer campaign that has something to do with a competitor or nothing to do with a competitor, like make sure you close the loop because I've made the mistake that Wix did. And, and you know, like, they're just like, they're going to be so happy with the headphones. They're going to want to share it. And it's like, yeah, but if they don't know who it came from, I personally tried to figure it out. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, where is the Wix branding or something? Um, to kind of bring it back. And I'm sure it's there somewhere. I just couldn't find it in in a reasonable amount of time. And so that's just one thing. And then I would say the the other like learning lesson here is like align that audience to whatever the campaign is, whether it's a competitive campaign or not. It's just a really good lesson, like in general, um, especially when you're spending, you know, a good amount of money on, you know, creative, meaning video ads and stuff like that, as well as like some sort of physical gift campaign. But I don't know. I think there's some interesting things to dissect on how Matt responded to this because he's done this in the past with, with Wix specifically, but I think he's done this with other things as well. Here's an interesting question. Do you respond? And there's a lot of ways to look at this, right? So he has like, let's say he has an aggravating competitor doing something like this and whether the the merits of what they're saying doesn't matter in this case, but like do you respond? And and to give it more context and broaden this beyond Wix and WordPress, we've had competitors say things that are just straight up disagreements, which I think is like interesting, but they make it as an ethical or a moral thing. Um, we've had competitors like call us out about product things and these types of things. And we've had like plenty of people do comparison pages with us. What's kind of your take? And, and, you know, if you talk about Matt specifically and then maybe broaden it, like I'm curious what you think about responding, you know, or being yeah. above the fray as some people suggest. I don't think his response was trying to frame it as this is unethical. So that's the oh, first thing. Oh, no, I thing. don't think he was yeah, doing no, 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 that to be No, clear. I know, I, I know, I, I know yeah. that. I'm just saying like, I think that's a bonus here for him on like 
he already started taking the high road by the mm. way that he responded to it. And he wrote something, if you read it, it's actually kind of entertaining and just kind of telling them, he even pasted the video on there, I believe. So putting myself in his shoes with such a vocal community and them looking for leadership from him, mm. I think it was somewhat important for him to do it because it's not just yet another SaaS product. Wix is yet another SaaS website creator. WordPress is not that. It's this community. Is, Again, yeah. part of the fundamental issue that you don't go after a community unless you really, really know, you know, it's like, don't go after the king unless you're going to win, right? Like, yeah. that was the problem here. You're talking about like a massive community of people that are going to support this thing, hell or high water. And that's not something that you want to step in the way that Wix has and did. And so I think his response was very perfect for his community and like, hey, like, I have to say something about this because I'm getting people, and this is what I mean by stepping in shoes. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people were pinging him about it. Like, hey, Matt, yeah. what's up with this? Hey, Matt. I would like, say his response. What do you think about this? It didn't feel like it came from a place of like, desperation's the wrong word, but like, I have to, I have to. Like, wasn't reactive. It, it wasn't reactive. It was responding. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It, he, he responded. It was, it was just react. a clean, entertaining response. This is what's going on. What, Here's some jabs and like, yeah, good luck. yeah, like, yeah. Good luck. Do your thing. thing, right? Like, yeah. so you could tell, like, from the blog post that he's not really moved by it in any way that I've seen other people react in a way that, like, I would say it makes them look bad. Hmm. So that's the other thing, right? Like, here Wix looks bad, just yeah. looks bad. Like, this is not this shouldn't have been run. Like, it's not ethics on this one. It's more just, is it tasteful? And like you said, is your target going to resonate with it? And if they're not, what are you doing? Like you're just wasting lots of people's time, money, energy, et cetera. Even Matt took a jab and like, I feel, I feel bad for the poor actors. You know, he yeah. kind of went after it a little bit, right? But they were trying to depict the whole Mac versus PC type of thing with the way they're doing it. That's why I'm saying, I do believe when you look at that person, you will find that's a representation of an older version of Matt. Mm. White guy, similar hair, similar features. Like, like come on. Like, just look at it. Like, it's very hard to miss that. He still didn't take the bait and still just went after it in a pretty clean way for a reaction. Yeah. Right. So I would, I would love, yeah. love, love, love for the Wix founders to respond because they have in the they, past. They kind of need to in this case in a way that's different than the past because it's a marketing campaign. And I wouldn't be surprised if their own customers are agitated by it to some extent. I wouldn't say like they're going to get that pissed mm. off because like, like, like you're probably going for, oh, you know, I tend to lean on the side of like, yeah, customers don't care unless it matters to them. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on your sentiment you're going for, but I'm not sure. We'll see kind yeah. of if this shakes out in any way further than that. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in the shoes, not in this case of like being an advisor to somebody who's dealing with stuff like this. And I tend to be the one who says, hey, like, you got to step back. Like, don't take it personally and figure out what your approach should be. That's a metered, meaningful response without being reactive. Yeah. And, I, and I see a lot of people getting reactive when they're hit with something like this. And then it gets into like, your argument doesn't hold ground. And that's, yeah. that's the thing. Like, is it true that Wix cannot do this and it's unethical? No. Wix can do this. They can do what they did. There's nothing unethical that I yeah. can imagine about it. Is it a waste of time and money? That's subjective, right? Again, yeah. even though I have an opinion, it's subjective. So at the end of the day, I would say relatively expensive campaign 
for the lesson I would assume that they're learning from it, which is like, you're going after a community. You're not going after another's just a yet another SaaS tool like yours. I do and not that Wix doesn't have a community. It has a community too, but it's yeah. not an open source, like decade and a half, maybe more. Yeah, like, like 30% long standing, <laughs> right? Like 30 yeah. to 40% of the internet. Like, you know, this is also the company that owns Tumblr. It's tough to be Wix, frankly. You know, the yeah. thing that I got to give Wix props for in the early days though, and I'm sure they're, they're still good at this, their ability to arbitrage traffic I think was like bar none, like impressive in the market from a website creator standpoint. They were arbing traffic. And what I mean by that is buying traffic low and and, and essentially monetizing it really well. Mm. Um, they had a massive team just targeting just banner ads, for example, when not too long ago, actually. And I heard a little bit about the ways they were doing it. It was, it was impressive. It was a very paid acquisition model that mm. scaled the business. So the reason I mentioned that is from a historical context standpoint, this type of marketing is unique for this company and it's unique for them, meaning like it's new, it's, it's a little bit novel for them. So, you know, someone probably had a bright idea and then someone else got excited and, and then this whole thing just kind of yeah. pushed forward. I will but- say the thing that I'm thinking through is let's imagine for a second that the ads, like the video ads and like campaign are separate from the influencer campaign because I can see a world where that's the case. I can see a world where they had this really idea to like, like they saw in the traffic something about WordPress. There's a lot of WordPress versus Wix, like search traffic or something like that. Like I'm, I'm trying to like steel man this for a second, basically. And so if we assume the influencer campaign was separate, the influencer campaign didn't work because what we talked about, there is a world I think where the video ads can work if there is some decision-making happening from a brand like affinity standpoint. So what I mean by this is like, again, I, I, I can't imagine this is the case, but if I'm like going to create a website and I keep hearing about WordPress, there is a world where seeing something like these ads gives me some of the like doubt, kind of like, you know, some of the other, you know, othering that like other advertising has done. So like, you know, Benioff doing the like no software thing. Well, what do you mean no software? What is that? What is that? Like, you know, like it's starting to like get the question. I don't think it ends up playing out, but there is a world that, because I watched a lot of the ads and I, I looked at it and I was like, well, if I'm thinking of WordPress, great. But the problem was is a lot of times I'm not thinking of WordPress. I'm like, I just want a site and I'm going to an agency who's going to create a WordPress site. But I don't know. That's that's the one thing that, that I, I kind of thought of when you were saying that, which was like, maybe it's not exactly going after the community. And maybe in this this manner, it actually does work a bit. Because I remember you and I texted and I was like, yeah, maybe if like, depending on who the audience is, like, there's something yeah, but interesting that, that, there. That, then it's ads and you have an ROI to them that you can measure, even including totally. brand affinity and call it. And then it's not an influencer campaign, right? And But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, those are disconnected. Yeah, that's the one thing I worry about because it's like I try to always imagine you got a company that's worth sixteen billion dollars. They've raised a ton of money. They're not idiots, right? You know, and and everyone can make a mistake, right? So I'm just thinking through like when you're saying that, like I think he had to respond, and I don't know if Wix responds, right? Because there's a world where they don't care. Like there's a world where they actually don't care about the influencers, and the influencers were just like an an added campaign that just doesn't matter. But. I don't know. We can we can move on from it. It just was a thought that I had that I didn't say before. It's hard when you have a giant company sitting there that your customers know about also is, you know, 
doing ads and in the market and you need to get creative. So in some ways, there's a world where like they, they ran out of strategies, which happens yeah. with paid ads at some point. Yeah, we don't think enough about the othering of an alternative, right? So if you think about WordPress, like 30 to 40% of the market, like you can create another out of WordPress, theoretically. You're not going to do that with the influencers, but you can do that potentially in oh. the market. Oh, absolutely. You can create an enemy out of out of them because they're large. Like for, yeah. for just by nature of being large, yeah. you can do that. And and that I don't like I said, no issues there, like that I see about like whether they should do that or not. I think that's that that's clearly like if they feel like they can win over people because, you know, they're making WordPress an enemy and they're saying, Hey, it's bad for these reasons and you're having that othering effect, that can be effective in this case. The, yeah. And I bet it could have even been effective if they just tackled it differently and said like here's what we do here's what they do right and we're different and when you need x y and z come to us and and there's a way to like frame that and position yourself as the other option that's not what this campaign felt like it was about the explosive sort of sentiment that people have around it and again going after a community not going after a product and i think that's like a very dramatic like thing Right. It's, it's like going after a brand uh, that yeah. has a strong community, not because of backlash, but more because of how that community will react to what you're doing against something they love. Yeah. And communities exist for a decade plus because there's something of tremendous value there. I do still think it was a fail on the majority of what they were trying to do, and they could have done a lot better. I don't usually say do better, but in this case, I would say if you're really going to go attack WordPress, make them the enemy, you could do a lot better than what they were yeah. doing. Yeah, no, I agree. We'll see what happens. Normally, these can't these types of campaigns, like this is just at the tip of the spear. This is a campaign. Like this is like a probably a six to 12 month campaign that was planned. So we'll see kind of how it evolves. If they did any like traditional media ad buying, like there's probably spots that have already been purchased, right? And so it'll be interesting to see like, where they put this because I think the audience I, I still have a sneaky suspicion that like the influencer thing was just a bad part of it I don't know but even the messaging I don't know we'll see it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out and I think the backlash that's been generated even if it was a small part of the community is enough for people to be like oh what did Wix do like ah, they did something bad like I don't want to talk to them like that type of thing that oftentimes happens I think the big thing here is how do you approach competition one if you're someone you know if you're in the position that Matt was in another is like the part that I think I've seen people screw up that Matt did not in this case. It's something you said earlier. It's it's when people respond, they typically respond with a reactive response that is targeted to their diehards and is almost mm. embodying the diehards of the business and saying, how would the diehards feel? And now I'm going to react that way. Yeah. And I think that that's not appropriate if you're the owner of a business, you're the founder, you're running it you're an executive, like you can't go there and act like you're that customer that loves you and just react off of that to the outside world, especially a competitor that's going after you. Because again, to the points that you made, like the campaign that was being done by the other party was not likely targeting your diehard users, hmm. right? It was just something that they did so they could get customers, something they were testing. There's a whole bunch of these things companies do as they try to figure out how to do marketing. 
and market themselves and get customers. And so I think when you pick an enemy, you got to pick your battles for sure um, and, and understand what you're going up against. And more importantly, if you're on the other side of it, you, you got to react in a way that's not reactive and more metered, thoughtful, and another option, which is you just completely ignore it. Yeah. And a lot of times that's okay. Like we've had people do that to us at Crazy Egg over the years in aggressive ways. And we just majority of the time ignore it. Mm. It's like sucks for them that they put so much energy into trying to compete with us in ways that are like oftentimes misconstrued and not true. Right. Mm. And that, that's what I've seen happen too, which is like they see a data point or they see something out there about the business, the people running the business or something. And then they try to extrapolate that and turn it into a marketing campaign or like a bunch of bullets on a landing page about the other company. I would say that like, a lot of it has to also do with like how aggressive the company is against their competitors and what their opinion of their own taste is. Mm. Like some people me, are just okay attacking competition aggressively and, you know, without fail. Again, I, I always come back to the audience here. So we, we've had a couple situations and you've, you've counseled me on them a couple of times, I think where respond, don't react is always the thing. We had a situation where there was some weird like G2 crowd stuff going on, like with bad reviews and stuff like that on our site and some of our competitor sites as well. And one of our competitor CEOs basically assumed it was us screwing around with stuff and then, you know, just posted, you know, and, and there was no proof, but just kind of posted it, right? And, you know, what I wanted to do was just be like, screw you, man. Like, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. But it was like, you know, like, hey, like, let me contact G2 crowd, figure out what's going on, you know, and, and, you know, did a whole like internal investigation, these types of things. But I think that what was interesting is in that case, I kept things one or two tweets public, excuse me, and just been like, hey, looking into this, I followed up with this, I followed up with that, and then kept everything else like off social, because I think our audience I always feel like I'm compelled to like explain everything publicly and be super transparent. But like any time that I would respond, there would be like parts of their audience that were very trolly who would jump in and just like, you know, say outlandish things, post memes, these types of things. And that's just not our audience. So like me getting into that kind of back and forth, like always felt like it would just be problematic. And and we've had other competitors, I think, do some of these types of things. And I, I just kind of find like, Picking your spot and trying to be super reasonable is sometimes really hard to do. And so if you can't do that, just like don't don't actually go into it. But, you know, we've we've had some situations where we've gained a lot of responses because we had someone like post something like kind of crazy on LinkedIn and I wrote like a four page response just like went through everything and I had a ton of people being like, yeah, this guy sounds insane. Like, thank you so much for doing that. Blah, blah, blah. It helped me like defend ProfitWell more, et cetera. So I don't know. I think it's like, it's hard sometimes to pick when to react, but to me seeking truth and focusing on truth, whatever that ends up being, and there's not an end to that a lot of times, oftentimes is like the right thing. And then what I always do, and this is something that, you know, I haven't said or shown publicly is, when like a CEO does that or like a member of that team does that publicly, I always email them directly and I'll always email them like typically a longer email. Like so in this review situation, I kept both CEOs of competitors because they've then both, you know, jumped into Twitter and were like, you know, bashing me personally as well as everything else. I kept them updated. So I sent them a long email. I was like, listen, here's what I did. Looked at this. It doesn't seem to be us. Not sure. Contacted G2 Crowd. G2 Crowd's going to do a full review of the entire category. 
blah, blah, blah. Then like G2 crowd gets back to me. I update them. All right. looks like everyone lost reviews, both positive and negative. Like they cleaned everything up. Looks like it's good. I've had a conversation with everyone on our team. I don't, you know, have no reason to believe anyone on our team actually did this, but just made sure that it was super clear, blah, blah, blah. I rarely get a response from anything like that, but it at least like, it helps you be above the fray, at least in my opinion. And it also like, I think that while not everyone's going to be friends by any means, I do think that it's important to like address these types of things, especially when people kind of bust them out proportionally, because then I think they second guess the next time something's happening. Like maybe they will actually direct message me rather than like doing something in public, but they also might not be outlandish because they're like, oh, Patrick's going to be super reasonable and, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't know. That tactic is great. I think it's a good human tactic. But that doesn't mean the other party is going to care, right? And that's, that's fine. That's the part in these situations that are always funny. So I, I guess my whole take on going after a competitor is make sure you're right. Yeah. And if you're doing anything that's gray area, don't get caught or don't do it. If there's a, even a remote chance of you getting caught in some way and then you got to answer to it, you're just creating drama for yourself and best case, a temporary issue for your brand. That's it. And like, yes, I know there's fake reviews everywhere in app stores and on G2 and everywhere. And like all this stuff's thrown around, but like oftentimes like it is nefarious. And so in some of these cases, it's easy for somebody to get really reactive when the evidence all points to something. I find the one-on-one approach first to be more valuable in these situations for everybody compared to just blowing it out of proportion on Twitter because you're reacting. And so a good example of this that I find happen commonly, Basecamp does it, Bear Metrics has done it, others have done it, and it comes up over and over again, is this idea that a competitor is advertising on your terms on Google. And it tends to happen a lot in the self-funded, I should say more bootstrapped world in this case, where people are just not necessarily able to advertise or don't advertise or don't understand how... Google works when it comes to those ads or don't realize that you can type in almost any company name and you will find competitor ads. And I'm not saying whether Google should allow it or not, but they make money by allowing it. That's clear. But everyone blows it out of proportion and makes it about not the competitor as much as about Google allowing it or not and then blaming Google. But we're in a world where like this is normal. Everyone has competition and competitors are going to bid on your terms. And yeah, there's trademark things you can do and some people do them. Even those don't hold with Google for whatever reason, you know, and and I know that, you know that. But it's this like, honestly, whining and complaining that makes a brand look bad, in my opinion, more so than the brand that's just advertising against the other brand. Because it's like, do I want to do business with a company that just whines about competition all the time instead of makes their product better or instead of tries to service our customer better? That's kind of my own opinion about when I see this. It's like, hey, this sucks. I get it. It's happened to my business multiple times, probably happening to my business right now. But I go focus on my customer and I go focus on the things that matter instead of complaining about this. So I'm sure within three months or six months, another set of tweets about this are going to come up. And it's typically, again, self-funded, bootstrap type of founders who are just unaware and don't understand marketing, frankly speaking, and are mad at Google. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, I've had to fight them for my trademark and and adherence to it and, and, and policies and all that. But at the end of the day, like get used to it. So first, 
or we were before Bear Metrics was sold, the uh, the target of a lot of that angst. What's really funny and what really aggravates me about this whole thing, we were not the first people <laughs> to do competitive ads. Like we weren't the first ones to do it. Like they did them back in the day. They stopped doing advertising, chart moguls, but doing um, all these other things. And now they're not well-funded, but we have a, a new competitor that that has some funding and they're doing heavy, like very, very interesting um, competitive ads. And frankly, like, for the metrics product, those ads we do on search um, for our competitors' terms, they are the highest ROI ads we have. The volume is not that high, but it is one of those things that the CPAs are really good. And then the retention of those users is really good because we've had parts of the product basically back it up. And what always bothers me is, and you were kind of getting towards it, is like a little bit of a self-righteous aspect of it, of like, making it into an ethical thing, right? Like making it into a moral thing. And that's where a lot of them attack Google. And I think Basecamp, you know, they like DHH and I think Jason also talks about this a lot. And I don't know, like there, there's some, there's some aspects of taste, right? Like we can say the Wix part of the Wix stuff was distasteful, especially for the audience that they were going for. And you could argue like some of our cheeky copy for our search ads would get distasteful. I think for our audience, it wasn't something that like we had to worry about. Um, I think for the audience, for the diehards on Barometrics, for example, like it probably drove them nuts because they very much were part of that particular world. And so it's just interesting, all the lining audience I keep coming back to. And the other thing I wanted to mention is I think that I do think that there is an element of handling some of these things one on one. And I do think that there is an element of like, I don't know if it's necessarily like needs to like say something in the market or say something like I do to some of the CEOs who will say something but I do think that there is there there's a bit of an element of like playing a multi-move game and making sure that you're keeping those relationships in a certain place or having some sort of element of doubt, either publicly or in those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Because I think what that does is it actually like helps into the long term as markets converge, as things change, um, and as things evolve. But I don't know. That might not be a, as a Machiavellian enough view, or it might be too much of the diplomacy of the Machiavellian side versus the uh, scorched earth side. So there is something to think about there. Just says a lot about people, the way they react and continue to react to these things in terms of where their focus is yeah. and how they think about their own business. And that doesn't mean you do business with them or don't, but like the end of the day, the best experience for the customer wins. 100%. And, and the funny thing is like the one thing I always remember about these conversations when it comes to this topic of competing and what you say about a competitor and picking fights and ads and this stuff is like the easiest customer to acquire is one that is using a competitor and is dissatisfied. Yeah. There's a bottom line. Like, yeah, I'd even go further and say the easiest customer to acquire is one that's using a competitor's product, period. Full stop. Without yeah. even the dissatisfied, right? Like they already know, They're they already aware. have the problem. They're, They're already aware. using a tool to solve it, right? Oh. Like that's the game. So if you're going to go after a competitor, figure out how to play the game properly so that you can acquire their customers, you know? And and properly means like hit them where it hurts in the right ways, yeah. where, where they're deficient and find the customers that are ready to switch as a result. So that's why like all the complaining about this stuff, I get it, it sucks. I've been on the other side of it, but I never react because it's not valuable. There's a couple of layers here. One, like you just said, hit them where it hurts, right? So with the metrics space, accuracy was the biggest thing. 
Like we would yeah. notice that it was a very secondary thing. What, what I mean yeah. by that is you would sign up and it wasn't a reason you would sign up, but it was a reason you would stay or a reason you would switch. So all of our competitor advertising was accuracy focused for the metrics side. And it's what got us, you know, people through the door because metrics, a lot of people don't realize it's really hard to get accuracy. Um, most marketing analytics products, they don't care about accuracy as much because if you're plus or minus 5% on marketing, it's not as big of a deal. And also like attribution is a pain in the butt. So you're never going to have perfect attribution anyways. But for finances, it needs to be there. The other thing that's really interesting, if you're defending yourself from this is, and we saw a couple of our competitors start defending themselves a little bit, is make sure you have a way to put your money where your mouth is. So what I mean by that is for us, for our retained product, we charge based on how much money we recover and we claim um, and have defended that we have highest recovery rates out there. So whenever a competitor comes and one of our competitors now got some funding and is really heavily coming after some of our banner customers, those conversations are really easy because we go to our point of contact and we go, we're more than happy to do a bake-off more than happy to do bake-off. Like we preempt it. And we'll talk through like, hey, I don't know if you want to go through this. Here's some like actual data of us versus them over the past like six or seven, you know, new deals, that type of thing. But it, it is one of those things like the amount you can align to that particular, you know, thing that the customer cares about or the experience the customer cares about, the better off you're going to be. Which I think is something that when you're complaining about it, you're complaining, oh, this isn't fair. And it's like, yeah, maybe it's not fair, but like that's reality. Like that's where we're at. And so you can sit there and complain about fairness or you can figure out what's best for the customer. And fortunately, the latter is always going to be better is to care about that customer. It's hard to beat the reality of a bake-off, period. If yeah. a bake-off is done well, it's hard to beat that reality. And if you know, hey, this one thing matters to customers more than anything else, even if the customer doesn't know it, but you are right, you can win the market by using that as your marketing big time, right? And then pieces yeah. of it. And like you you folks do in the sales process, it's like, yeah, accuracy matters. I would argue with you about the marketing tools being okay, being off 5%. Because yeah. I've built a few of these and mine were never off. And if they were, we spent a lot of time making sure they weren't. But and even but, today, I look yeah. at analytics products and other marketing products and it's disappointing. This is why we don't use most of them because they are not Let me put it this way. If I go find 100 CFOs, and they're like 90 of them are going to care about the accuracy of the financial no, no, right. analytics product. Right. I go yeah. ask 100 marketers, like 10 yeah, are no, going to no, care, no. right? Yeah. To yeah. To totally true. Some of the problems are because they don't care. Some of the problems that like exist in attribution because people don't have accurate data, so you can't even do attribution. Yeah. Um, but those are all topics that we shouldn't get into. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like you win if you're able to prove that you're better. And in better in a meaningful way that customers highly value. And it's also a product principle I follow, which is when we figure out what matters to the customer, that's all that matters to our team, right? Like at the yeah. core, I'll give you a simple example I might've gave before, which is like in our analytics product, if there ever was a dip in a graph at mm. Kissmetrics and it was our fault, that's not okay. Yeah. Because a customer is trying to rely on us to make decisions and if it's our fault that their data is off and there's yeah. a blip and it's not explainable by like what really happened with their data, like their API tracking on their end was wrong, the integration was wrong, or literally it was a legitimate dip that they need to go address, then we shouldn't be in business. Yeah. And that was the mandate at our company. It's like, we're not in business if like there's a dip and it's our fault because that means that like we failed them at what we're supposed yeah. to be great at, which is 
providing metrics and data so they can make decisions. You would be surprised at even the companies that survive beyond Kissmetrics that are unable to actually provide accurate data, even today. To your point about yeah. do people care, but we just realized it was just such an important principle to us, right or wrong, that essentially did matter to the customers we had. Even to this day, like people have written to me about, oh, do you have anything? Do you know anyone that's as accurate as Kissmetrics was? Uh, and can do these things with the features and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I don't. I build it in-house for that one reason of yeah. auditability and traceability. So we can go make finance and marketing and sales all happy. Because the thing is, like all this stuff when it comes to data, marketing data, sales data, that's business data, it does go back to finance yeah. at the end of the day. But anyway, that's my mini rant on this stuff. But my bigger point is like, figure out what matters to your customers and just go make yeah. sure that you're best in class at that. And then you will win these bake-offs. You will actually win customers in a clean, legitimate, factual way. Yeah. That's like rational. We ended up also, just to give some more tactical lessons too. So one, give us two more years and we're going to complete the funnel in terms of accuracy at some point. That's the end stage nice. of profitable metrics is like, wow, we have a little bit <laughs> that's in, lofty in your space. Probably going to be three years, but that's fine. But it's, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire, but as we continue to advance metrics, we have a little bit of engagement data now so you can get daily active usage information. Yep. And then, you know, we're going to keep going out, you know, from finance. Because originally the idea, I don't know if you know this even, originally we were looking for like, how can we auto create personas or segments, yes. right? And we were like, well, let's start with the GA data. Well, the GA data doesn't matter unless we have this data. Unless we have this data, oh, we need the finance data first. Nothing matters. I mean, this is a little bit of, you know, kind of hyperbole, but it's very hard to like sell something if you don't necessarily or auto create something if you don't have that data. That's why we started with it and eventually we'll, we'll expand out. But the other thing, tactically from a competitive standpoint, lean into the things your competitors don't have. That's something that we've seen work really well. We have SOC 2. SOC 2 uh, security standard, security accreditation or audit, however you want to look at it. It's certification. Um, it's a SOC 2 certification. certification. I always figure, I, I'm always like, what is All the good. right word? I'm in this world um, right now. All good. Yeah. So we have a certification. None of our competitors have it. That wow. thing's right in the center of our website, right? Yeah. And one of our competitors is in Europe, which, you know, they have very different standards, right? It's one of those things that like, I always thought SOC 2 and these types of things weren't great. Like you should do the things that SOC 2 looks at. Like you should make sure you have good privacy standards, make sure you have good security standards. But like the certification, like, ugh, like, well, people want the stamp, right? It makes a conversation really easy when you're talking to larger companies, right? They want the stamp. All, all you got to say is you're SOC 2 certified and they're very happy with you to and continue the conversation. almost impressed yeah. in a lot of ways at this exact moment in time. And totally. they don't bring up security as much for a lot of tools. Not all tools, but for a lot of tools, that's good enough. I mean, and we're dealing with sensitive data. So it yep. was one of those things where from a competitor standpoint, now it's like we've been on the other side of this. And so I feel okay doing it where it's like, well, they don't have that. And it's like, oh, well, they don't have that. Therefore, like, oh, this must be better. When maybe it's not really even a better conversation, right? The one thing I was talking to Christian at Paddle about this, they, they're kind of leaning into revenue delivery, this whole concept of revenue delivery. And it's like when they go up against Chargebee or some of the other folks, and we're partners with all of these folks, so I have to remain as, as unbiased as possible. But it's interesting because they can go, oh, we're not billing. We're revenue delivery. And it all of a sudden creates this really interesting like 
Oh, we yeah, do you, all those things. You, you mentioned that to me. I have opinions on paddle and that word and, and all that. But like at the end of the day, those are marketing terms. Those are people trying to create a, a category for themselves so they're differentiated. And it can be effective. It's it's only effective though when the customer cares. So I would I would pose it back and say, does the customer cares and customer understands instantly? And and I'm in the middle of one of these right now for my own business and like yeah. might be in the middle of it for a bit. And oh my God, like how easily you can make something up that customers don't care about. I think in this instance, they do care because billing has unfortunately become a bad word. And I think that that, that is where like, even if it's not the right word, they're latching on to a different word. That's why yeah, I think it's so, interesting. So, so, so if it's not the right word, you missed it. You missed the whole point. I don't know. We get, like literally when it comes to category, if it's not the yeah. right word, you're not going to make a category. You missed it. Right. And so when I, when I compare, and again, I've done this comparison before, but when I compare revenue acceleration that Drift has kind of coined, the new, new one they coined, yeah. versus revenue delivery for the personas that both companies are going after, which are different personas, I don't see revenue delivery hitting, but I see revenue acceleration like getting nods, like lots of nods. Like, yeah. okay, I get it. And, and you have to have those nods with your category name coming into it. Otherwise, you can't create anything unless someone instantly understands it well enough, your audience specifically. Yeah. And this is just new learnings from category stuff, mainly yeah. because like there are a lot of companies trying to make up new stuff. And so it has to pass that test. Like right now I'm very focused on IT and you know we'll talk more about that as I reveal more about what I'm up to and, and things like that. But like there, there's a company called Better Cloud that, that coined hmm. SaaS ops. Now, something I just learned, there's a category called SaaS management that is official because Gartner said it's official recently. Yeah, classic. So now you have Better Cloud trying to pimp out SaaS ops to the world and they have a hashtag and all that stuff. And, and then you have Gartner saying, actually, it's SaaS management. And you don't really have a category if you're the only company in the category. So that's well, another so here's, little bit of an issue too. We can always return to more. This is a diff way different combo for next category time. conversation. But, yeah. I do think, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Here's what I'll say. And then you can have the last word and we can move on. In the case of paddle, maybe it's not a category, but if it works in the medium term or even the long term because no one's adjusting, I think it's fine. Like if it's just othering, working in sales conversations, bringing people into the fold, but it's not a big old category because billing is always going to be the category, I think that's fine. That's how I feel. I completely disagree because Great. if you're going to go waste the time and energy to come up with something... Make sure it's good and, and make sure it works with your audience. And it's just either somebody didn't do the research or it's like the usual, like someone really likes it. So someone got really caught up in it. And again, I don't know, but I've seen this stuff exactly like what Paddle did is doing and exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And it doesn't work because the customer doesn't care. Now, I'm not sitting here saying I have the data to know whether the customer cares about that or not. Sure. Right. I'm evaluating it in a void. So maybe it's working and maybe it can, it can be something they hold on to, right? But it can't be a temporary thing in my opinion. I don't think it can be a stopgap. I think mm -hmm. it has to hit the mark. Otherwise, you're wasting energy and you might as well just be a better billing system. Okay. I said you would have the last word. I don't think we've <laughs> properly scoped to. or framed this conversation, but... Well, we should definitely talk about category we can go, at we can some go point deeper. in the near yeah. future. Probably like when I want to share, I, I want to share my category yeah. and what I'm doing. Um, totally. But this is a topic 
that I get really passionate about because I get passionate about topics that I'm in the middle of dealing with. Oh, of course. This is one of them dealing with myself. Yeah. Okay. I think baiting a competitor is actually an art form. I think back to Drift and Intercom because I think that Drift acted like they were staying above the fray, but would do things to get Intercom basically to come out against them a bit. It helped validate, I think, Drift over time, getting Intercom to start doing ads on Drift's terms and like these types of things. But I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole just for the sake of time, but I do think that there is value in taking a larger competitor, more incumbent competitor, and baiting them into the market to essentially elevate you as a competitor. And I think that's a really good, really good example to kind of study in depth of a company who was able to do it. And it might have happened anyways, because obviously Drift raised a bunch of cash, was definitely going for it. So it probably would have happened. But I think they did do some really smart things to kind of like accelerate that conversation. Drift versus Intercom was very interesting from the early days because Drift looked like an Intercom competitor in the earliest of days. Mm. And I think that was way too easy for Intercom to like pay attention to. And it came at a time when Intercom didn't necessarily have startup love like they used to. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and that's because they moved up market and a lot of startups are obviously not happy with paying them more and more money all the time. And startups tend to be really cheap, rightfully so. To say the least. Um, I never imagined that startups would be a market, but here we are today where startups are a market for so many companies. It's kind of crazy. But I would say that like there was just a timing there and an approach to how Drift kind of went after it unapologetically. It was unapologetic copying of Intercom in the beginning. And that is just truth. Uh, you don't need to know anything except look at Intercom's old site and look at Drift's old site and know what mm. I mean by that. But the impressive part is how fast Drift moved away from the Intercom messaging and the Intercom use cases and came up with the use cases for the same tech that were different than what Intercom had at the time. Mm. And there were a number of like factors that went into play there, such as I think Intercom was really hell bent on the human touch and the one-to-one. And Drift like early on kind of knew that bots and automation were how you make sales and marketing more efficient, or that was mm. their belief. And then they just focused on the, that, that demographic. So today, if you're using Drift for customer support, I am sorry. Yeah, if you're sucks. using Intercom for customer support, sorry, hey, hey, congrats, congrats, you've got the right tool. But like, yeah. look at their marketing. How, what does revenue acceleration and customer support have to do with each other? Nothing. Well, no, they, right. in their so, defense, in Drift's defense, they very early on, if you went to the website, they one of their bots would say like, what are you looking for or whatever? And if you said something like support, they kind of told you to go screw off. <laughs> like in a nice way, yeah, they yeah, were like, I'm not, I'm not, we're just I'm not the saying, tool for it. Yeah, I'm not saying they ever tried to be the tool for it either. What I'm saying is though, there was a like, short window. There's, there was a short was a window. Sh- it was early on that's where like we're just yeah. first customer ever. And that's what they sold us on more than anything was like, oh, you could use it for like in-app and these type of things. And we were like, oh, cool. But I think that it very quickly like changed gears and, you know, they went to that's where the That's money not was. where the money is. Literally, yeah. that's not where the money is. Like it's a cost center. And, and yeah, customer success has been framed as not a cost center, but we could go into a whole conversation about why that's BS, but yeah. like, it's just sales and it's a good account management if you're going to not make it a cost center. Right. But it's one thing for intercom to be egged on, um, by drift. It's another for drift to just be like, we don't care. 
We just don't care. They don't flinch when it comes to like, oh, we're just going to copy it. You could just feel it when you looked at the old intercom product and, and the old drift product back then. You're like, oh, it's in the same category. It's basically the same product to, to the point where like it felt really familiar when you use intercom and it was unapologetic, right? It's like, yeah, there's a market here and we're going to figure it out. And the way we're going to figure it out is by copying you. Mm. It wasn't ever said explicitly that I ever saw anywhere, but it was just said in startup land constantly at, at one point that got drift a ton of signups hmm. because they i think they didn't have to pick the fight like overtly they just straight up like ignored the fight like yeah. it's almost like they didn't care that is very rare for a company to copy and not care and then evolve well beyond the use cases that they originally started with so hmm. yeah I, I think there's just a lot of context there that would change like how somebody thought about the competition there i almost feel like there was no competition because the intention was like very different approaches to product and product strategy also, which I think makes, makes a huge difference in like execution. Hmm. So anyway, mini ran on that, I guess. I like what you said about the different approaches. I do think that whether they did it strategically or tactically, they did want to draw intercom out. And I think that they were desperate's the wrong word, but they were like actively going for it, but then they surpassed it basically. In, in terms of mindset. And I think it is because of what you said about being unapologetic about like, cool, you got that? Great, we do too now. That's kind of an interesting thing where they weren't afraid to be cutthroat with it is the best way to look at it. All right, anything else you got? Nope. All right, so let's nope. recap. What did we talk about today, Hayden? We talked about competition and marketing for the most part. And then we got into a little bit about category because I think we're going to get into category a lot in these conversations. I feel like every we get into it almost every time. into category, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it feels like every, yes, which category are you in? Which category are you not in, et cetera? What in different companies and how they approach that? Because I think we're in a fun place in the world where there's a lot of SaaS and there are defined categories and then there are currently undefined and categories that are TBD mm. in terms of definition. So if I were to say we started with competitors and went over to category, that's what we did here. Yeah. I think maybe for it goes me, hand in hand. A couple other things, a little more details. We did this in the context of the WordPress Wix um, little spat that's evolving here. I think a couple of things is like if you're going to do competitive marketing, make sure you nail the right audience and then obviously align messaging to that audience and, and pick the right one. And I also think like think through there's there's probably some sort of like gravity model here of, you know, like Wix attacking a community gets kind of suspect. But like if WordPress was less of a community and more of just an incumbent entity, it might actually have worked out depending on, you know, kind of the, the way it looks at. Um, so just think of like size. Right. And, and I think the biggest thing, which I think is really good, just advice for life is respond. Don't react. You know, don't react in terms of. You know, when someone calls you out or something's going on from a competitive standpoint, think through what is best for the customer, what is best for my audience, and make sure you respond with as, as cool of head as possible because ultimately uh, the reaction just makes you feel better. It doesn't actually advance whatever you're trying to do. That sums it up. All right. Sums it up. Let us know what you all think. We'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review on this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, 
the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 